good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to all the girls in the house today. I would love it if you would welcome them with me, the Appleton campus, the Brookfield campus, the Germantown campus, Milwaukee, and online campuses today. We are excited to have the girls in the house today. If you would give me a moment and let me do a little shout out to five very special women in my life. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, Dixie Honeycutt, to my mother-in-law, Paula Cole, yay to them, and then my sister-in-laws, Megan and Stephanie, and then my niece, Mackenzie. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. We love you. Yes. So this weekend, this message is not going to be the typical Mother's Day message. You are not going to hear me talk about any of the Marthas. We're not going to talk about any of the Marys. We're not going to talk about Eve, Esther, Ruth, Naomi, or even the guilt-producing and all-shame-inducing Proverbs 31 woman. We're not going to talk about him today. Today, we are going to talk about a man, a man from the Old Testament. So if you would turn, scroll to Genesis, we're going to start in 12, then we're going to go to 17, and then chapter 22. But this weekend, I want to talk to you about the topic of surrender. It is a place that I have been in for a little over, well, several years now. Surrender. We're going to look at this man, Abraham, and his life and how God used surrender repeatedly in his life. I grew up going to Park Crest Assembly of God Church in Springfield, Missouri. And I remember when the new sanctuary was dedicated. I was probably around eight years of age, and I remember we went from this little white church to this huge auditorium. I remember walking in and seeing this balcony with these wings that came down onto the platform, and it had these steps from the, from the platform down to the main floor. There was this ginormous wooden pulpit, and right below it was the communion table, and then flanking the left and the right were the altar benches. Now, I didn't fully understand all of communion and what that meant and why there was typically a floral arrangement on the communion table. Only on certain times when we had communion was there actually the elements of communion, so I was always kind of confused. Why do we call it a communion table when really it holds the flower arrangement? It didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I didn't understand the altar benches, but I knew what happened at those benches was very special. It was sacred. It was like people were going to meet God there. As I got older and was able to drive myself to church, I started going to Sunday night church. And I loved Sunday night church. It was like the pastor was more relaxed. There wasn't this time crunch. You know, you got to get on to the next service. We got to hurry, 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 hurry. It was way more like you could just kind of take a deep breath. And it felt like we had altar services after every Sunday night. And I just loved it. I loved watching people come down to the front. I loved being able to go to the front. I loved that interaction that would happen at the altar. Today we're going to see in Abraham's life how important the altar was to him and what happened in his life. We're going to start out first real quick, just a quick minute in Genesis 22.1. You don't have to turn there, 
But I just want to point out something to you in the relationship that Abraham and God had together, this fellowship that they had, and how there was this level of trust between the two of them. It grew, but what we're going to see here in Genesis 22 is how deep that trust had gathered. Also in our story today, Abraham is going to go from Abram to Abraham. I don't want you to think that I have made a mistake, but that was God's doing. God changed his name, not me. So Genesis 22, verse 1, I'm going to be reading this weekend from the New Living Translation, if you'd like to follow along, if you're a digital person. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. What I want to point out to you is that this word test that God is doing is not one that is a temptation to sin, but it's a, re- it's a test in relationship to surrender. John Bevere says it really well. He said, we must remember that God doesn't test you with evil, only with obedience. As a Christ follower, I wish I could stand here today and tell you that you are only going to have to surrender one time. You're only going to have to go through one test in your whole walk with God. Wouldn't that be great? Like, let's get this done. Let's get this over with so we can move on. But in a Christ follower's life, it is a continual cycle. He's going to point to this thing in your life and then to that thing in your life. And he's going to constantly keep pointing out things that you need to surrender to him. The question is, Are you going to be willing to surrender whatever that thing is to him? Because we like to do this. We like to worry and we like to fret and we like to have um, this, this control over it. But that's the opposite of surrender, isn't it? Is control. And now the people on the front row over here are laughing because they know that I am like a control freak. So they're like going, yeah, right, she's going to talk about control. Okay, that's funny. But it's true, right? We all like to have our grasp on it, and we like to worry about it. We like to wake up at 3 in the morning and fret about it and try to help God out with it. And we're going to see in Abraham's life what the first surrender that he has to give is that of his family. So if you would, if you're not already there, Genesis 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 together. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his, lot, and his nephew Lot and all of his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And they headed for the land of Canaan. God does not have a problem with your family. He does not have a problem with my family. He created family before he created the church. He loves your family. But there are times when God can see and God knows that we place our family before everything else. And that's what Abram Abram had done here. He had placed his family before his relationship with God. And God knew he was calling him out to a different place, to a new place. And that his family was going to not be able to go with him. So he was calling them out and separating him. 
We like to, to say that our family is our, our pride and our joy. We like to take ownership of our family. And our family can be elevated before our relationship with God. I mean, you talk to any mom, any grandma, they're gonna have, they're gonna pull out their phone or this little photo album from their purse and they're gonna show you every picture of their kids and their grandkids. You can go to social media, Facebook, and all it is is just continual promotion of your family and what your family is doing, isn't it? But when was the last time you promoted God? When was the last time you went and talked about God as much as you did your family to somebody? We love to elevate our family before our relationship with God. And that's where the problem comes in. Nothing should be more important. Nothing should take that place but your relationship with God. He should be your number one, always and forever. And when he is elevated to that first place, then everything else falls in. There's this peace and this perfection of his will in your life. We see here that Abraham does not follow suit. He does not listen to what God has to say. And he decides that he's going to take his nephew Lot with him. I'm sure there was a lovely conversation that happened between Abram and Sarai. You're bringing Lot? Um, you told me I could not bring my mom and my dad, so you can't bring any of your family either. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. God does not mean I can't take my nephew Lot. He's like a son to me. And God goes, ding, 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 there's your problem. You've put somebody in the place in your heart of where a son should be. And where I'm calling you to, there's not room for Lot and your future son. But what does Abram do? He brings Lot along. And now we have a problem. Abram has put Lot in this place where he was not supposed to be. And he's created a conflict and an issue. See, God knew that he was calling him to a place where there was no room for Lot. But Abraham had to hold on, had to have control. The problems we create for ourselves when we fully do not surrender to God. If you have time this week, Read further on and see the issues that happened because Lot was brought along with Abram and Sarai. At some point, God goes to Abram and Ab Abram has to beg and plead for Lot to be saved. All because he brought him along when he shouldn't have. They had to divide land and there were issues that came up. But there's a price to pay for disobedience. And that's what happens in their next point. The second surrender is that of plans. Now, some of you um, may not have a problem or an issue surrendering your family today, but you're probably going to have a problem surrendering that of your plans, your dreams, your goals, your ambitions. And in Genesis 17, we're going to see where Abraham has concocted this plan he and his wife, Sarah, have been told that they are going to have a son. And they start to get a little weary of waiting. 
I'm sure that's never happened to any of you. You've never become tired of waiting on God. He's told you something. You believe this is going to happen, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and it doesn't seem that God is going to show up anymore. And you kind of concoct your own plan. You come up with a plan B, per se, and that's what Abraham and Sarah have done. They got tired of waiting for this elusive promised son, so they decide to go out and make a way to have a son. And it causes a conflict, and there's a problem. Abraham creates this mess. There are things that you and I are waiting and wanting God for, and we're believing for, and we get, we get impatient, and we create this plan B, what I like to call an Ishmael mess. We become like God in these moments and say that we know better and we know how to fix the problem when all we're doing is creating this mess. We're going to pick up in the story here with Abraham and God. God has come again, once again, to Abraham, and he has said, I'm going to give you a son not this plan B that you've made, but we're going back to my plan A. And in chapter 17, verses 17 through 19, then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abram said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no. We get a clear answer from God. He straight up tells Abraham, no. Your plan is not my plan. I'm not going to change my plans to accommodate your plans. Never done that before. Never asked God for that. How many Ishmaels do we create when we circumvent God's plan for our own? We keep asking him to open doors and to make a way and to bless the mess when all we're doing is continually struggling after struggle after struggle. We've created this Ishmael and we keep asking God to bless it. And he keeps saying no, to trust him, to rely on him, to surrender our plans, our goals, our dreams, our ambitions to him. Because what he has is best for us. The third surrender that we see in Abraham's life is that of the promise. The long-awaited son has been born. Abraham and Sarah think they can sit back, relax. They can, okay, everything's good. All is right in the world. And we're going to pick up in Genesis 22, verse 2, and we're going to see that God shows up again. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now I want to unpack this just for a second, because I'm sure that Abraham probably had a look of confusion Uh, He had questions. There was like, his head was cocked. Like, what? What's going on? I don't understand what's happening right now. 
but there's a couple of hints. There's a hint that I want to show you first. Marai in the Hebrew means the place where the Lord provides. Now, he may not have understood all that was going on, Abraham, but that had to like stick out into his mind for a second. Okay, he's asking me to go do this thing, but the place that he's telling me to go is the place where he provides. So that had to bring some element of comfort to him. The second thing I want to point out is that God is very clear and he's very concise in what he tells Abraham to do. There is no confusion when God speaks. Now, there may be confusion on our end. We may be full of doubt. We may be full of worry, but he is not. As you, are you willing to trust? That's what he's wanting to know. Are you willing to surrender once again, even when it doesn't make any sense to you? In verse 3, we continue on with the story. It says, The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. Abraham didn't wait. He had learned, I believe, I hope to think so anyway, from his past two mistakes. Okay, God has spoken. I'm going to do what he says to do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to start this journey. I'm not waiting around. I'm not waiting to see if he's changed his mind. I'm not waiting to see if I heard wrong. I'm not waiting to see if it was the Chipotle I ate last night, didn't settle well with me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Surrender is never easy. There is often a struggle on our end, one that is filled with so many questions. But until we get to this place that Abraham, I believe, is at now, which is called submission, he is willing to submit and give up his family and give up his plans for the promise. Possible that at 100, Abraham had finally come to this place where he was willing to lay it all down and give all control to Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. We pick up in verse five. Abraham looks now to his servants and he says, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Abraham took two other men along the journey with him. But at a certain point, Abraham knows that the faith journey is between himself, his son Isaac, and God. There comes a point when no one can take your faith journey for you or with you. There's not a book, there's not a counselor, there's not a pastor, a friend, a spouse, not even your sweet mama can do for you what God has called you to do. Your faith journey is just that. It's a personal journey, a one-to-one experience. It's your faith journey. And there comes a point where you must carry the surrender yourself. In verse 6, we see that Abraham and Isaac are carrying the supplies, and Isaac asks the all-important question, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham replies with, God will provide. Now, I don't know if at this point, Abraham is full of joy and wonder, or if he is full of uncertainty in every step, 
feels like a weight on him. But what I do know is that in this journey, he is learning to trust and is speaking in faith when Isaac questions him about the activities of the day. We get a deeper look into this in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith. Abraham had learned to trust and rely and put all of his faith in the fact that God would provide. Why? Why did Abraham believe that? Because of the promise that God had given to Abraham back in Genesis 17, 16. That this son, this plan A, God's best, would be great and would have many descendants. Not this other son, not the plan B, not the alternative, but that this son was the promise. There was no doubt, no question, no confusion. What we come to here is a level of trust between Abraham and God like none other. Abraham laid Isaac on the altar and waited for God to speak, for God to move. He had followed what God had asked him to do and he did it. How many times do we come to this place of reckoning with God and not place what it is that he is asking us to surrender on the altar? Abraham had come as far as he could and now he had to wait on God. We all come to that place, don't we? What you do in that next moment is so very important in your faith journey. Which brings me to the last surrender and that is the blessing of surrender. Genesis 22:15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Abraham was able to trust and look what God did in his obedience. Abraham placed Isaac on the altar and stepped back. He didn't argue, he didn't plea, he didn't wrestle, and he didn't try to control. Abraham was willing to give his son back to God, and God in turn blessed Abraham more than he could ever have truly imagined. In closing, as the worship team comes back out, there's a beautiful response in chapter 22 that I want to point out to you. It's in verses 1 and 11. It's three key words of fellowship. It's between Abraham and God. And Abraham says this, here I am. Have you placed yourself in fellowship with God today? Can you hear him when he speaks to you, when he's calling to you? That nudge, 
that poke, that uneasy feeling that you have? Is he speaking to you in this moment today? I've given time in this message today for you to be able to come to these altar benches. What is he asking you to surrender today? What is he nudging at you about? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is it some health issue that you have? Anxieties that you're dealing with? Is it your plans? Maybe that's what you're battling with today. And he's saying, I need you to give them over to me. I need you to trust me with your future, your ambitions, your goals, your dreams. Maybe you have an Ishmael that you have created in your life today. And you just don't know what to do anymore. And you're tired of trying to control it. You're tired of trying to fix it today. And you just want to give it to him. You're done. Maybe it's the promise. The long-awaited promise. And God is showing you to come and to lay that promise at his feet today. Because he's going to bless it beyond anything more that you could ever imagine. Maybe you have a prodigal today. Maybe if it's a spouse or a son, a daughter. Maybe it's a parent that you need to come and you need to lay them down on the altar today. You need to surrender that over to the Lord because you're tired of controlling. You're tired of trying to get them to come to church with you. You're tired of trying to help figure out their salvation plan. Whatever it is, come to the altar today and give it to Him. I felt very strongly yesterday when I was going over my notes that someone has the ultimate sacrifice that they need to lay down at the altar today, and that's of their life. If that is you today, come down here. All you have to say is, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you. Jesus, come into my heart and into my life. I give it all to you today. You know what he's speaking to you about. So as the band comes and they're gonna lead us in a song, Come down here and give him control over your life today. Surrender what you need to surrender to him. Come, let me pray over you today. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would bless this sacred moment. Do what only you can do at these altar benches today. As people come and they surrender whatever it is that they need to lay down, whatever they need to give you back control of, I pray that you would bless them in a mighty way. Do a mighty work. I thank you for each and every woman that's in this place. Bless them and let them feel honored today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.